everyone. You're listening to The Katie Helper Show, and I'm your host, Katie Helper. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show, where for just $1 a month, you can help make the show happen. And for $5 a month, you'll qualify for great bonus content, including an alternative podcast feed and rarely seen clips that aired on our live shows. Hello and welcome to the Katie Halber Show. We are so excited to be here with you. We have a really important show, great guests. It's jam-packed. We have actually four guests and that extensive lineup consists of Freddie DeBoer, Afini, Molly Shaw, and Amy Merrill. And so what's going to happen is for the first half of the show, I'll be talking with Molly, Amy, and Afini. Then the second half of the show will be Freddie DeBoer. And just so people know who everyone is, Freddie DeBoer is a writer and academic and the author of The Cult of Smart. His writing has appeared in the New York Times Magazine, Harper's Magazine, LA Times, and New Republic Politico. Afini is a Black queer activist and core organizer with Freedom Fighters DC, and she's passionate about equity, anti-racism, and transformative mutual aid. Molly Shaw is a contributing writer to The Real News and social media consultant based in Berlin. Prior to moving to Germany, Molly was an activist, teacher, and lawyer in Louisville, Kentucky. And Amy Merrill is an artist and activist and co-founder and digital director of Abortion Pill Access Campaign Plan C at plancpills.org. And we're going to be talking about what the hell we're doing next, how to fight back, basically, against the scary fundamentalists and right-wingers, and of course, the Democrats who enable them. So I'm going to first bring on Molly Shaw. Molly is a, just going to remind you, a contributing writer to The Real News and a social media consultant based in Berlin. And prior to moving to Germany, she was an activist, teacher, and lawyer in Louisville, Kentucky. So welcome, Molly. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yes, I'm excited to have you on. And thanks for joining us so late from Germany. And then we're going to bring on Afini, who is a Black queer activist and core organizer with Freedom Fighters DC. She's passionate about equity, anti-racism, and transformative mutual aid. Hi, Afini. How are you? Hi, super excited to be here, Katie. Thank you. I'm really excited to have you guys. So I thought we could talk about, obviously, everyone watching this knows that the Republicans are pretty bad on many issues, including abortion, reproductive rights, reproductive freedom. But something that I think the Democrats try to take advantage of is the fact that they're not Republicans. And as we know, a lot of Democrats are responding to this moment, not with a lot of ideas, not with a lot of action, but with a lot of encouragement to vote in November. We've seen people say that again and again. So I wanted to ask you to, before we respond to some really interesting videos, I want to ask you what mistakes Democrats have made, what they could have done and what they still can do. Molly, you have a list if you want to start. Well, I have a list of things they can do, but I, I guess I could, I could talk a little bit about um, where they failed, if you'd like. Um, I wrote an article in April that was like the Democrats, it was literally titled, The Democrats Have No Plan for the End of Roe v. Wade. And I wanted to be wrong. <laughs> and then that was before the opinion got leaked. And so then I was like, well, they got two months. Like, maybe they'll come up with a plan. And it is really clear in the past few days that there is nothing, there's nothing there, um, which is a tragedy. <laughs> um, the Democrats have time and time again, since at least Clinton, but really going back probably to the eighties have just like seeded ground on abortion over and over and over again. Um, I think one of the biggest problems that they've had, and there's many, many problems, but one of the biggest problems they have had 
is that they have given away the rhetorical landscape on abortion. Um, Bill Clinton was really into safe, legal, and rare, which basically just automatically stigmatizes abortion and makes it sound like something that is not good and something that you shouldn't you shouldn't do. And it just gives that ground to Republicans. Um, I think Media Matters at one point did a study and showed that like 95% of the talking on abortion is done on like Fox News. You know, so like they're not talking about abortion. They're not saying abortion. Joe Biden didn't say abortion. I can't remember exactly the days, but I think it's like 220 days into his presidency before he said the word abortion. He didn't give a speech on abortion until two days ago. Um, so it's just, it's just to me, there's a lot of rhetorical losses. And then there's just been tons of legislative. There's been no proactive movement from the Democrats. They have not moved to codify Roe, including when Obama had a supermajority in 2008. Um, and there were other times where they could have moved to Cairo and did not. And they've also like given in like a lot of these state legislature races they haven't funded and they haven't really attacked any of those laws very aggressively. Um, I have like a two, I don't want to like cut off a feeding, but I do have two examples. <laughs> um, like I don't want to talk too much of like, I think like really big failures that the Dems had. And one was in Virginia um, Virginia, it, like, was trying to codify Roe at the very end of the, um, after Yunkin gets elected, right? And this is not really a Democrat thing. This is actually a NARAL problem because a lot of these big reproductive rights organizations, which are very tied into the Dems, have the exact same problems. And um, NARAL had, like, pushed for this at the last minute, and, the legis- and they didn't get it through. Um, and the legislatures, like, gave interviews and they said they think that this is really hypocritical because for years NARAL had been lobbying against codifying like abortion rights in the Virginia um in the Virginia legislature because they didn't want to be too controversial and they didn't they just wanted to fight the bans and they just wanted to do this but they didn't want to like codify they didn't want to do anything like proactive and then like at the last minute we're like struggling to do this. So, I, I mean, I think, and you can see these kind of failures just sort of all over the country with the Democrats, where it's just like all these missed opportunities basically done out of fear. Like, you know, like, oh, we might like not, we might, we might make these people mad. And it's like, these people always are going to think that you're baby killers. Like they're, that's all, no matter what you do, that's what they're going to say. So it just is ridiculous to me that you would like give away this, this rhetorical ground to them. And then the other one is just sort of what the National Abortion Federation did in Texas after Senate Bill 8 passed, which is they um, they basically overly broadly defined it, the statue and made it impossible for independent um, clinics in Texas who are very dependent on the money from the funding to provide services they thought that they could provide. And they also were even like requiring an extra transvaginal ultrasound, which like, I don't know if you've ever had one of those, but those are not fun. <laughs> And like they were requiring an extra one that probably wasn't even required by the law in some cases. And, you know, it was just like this abundance of caution and this abundance of like not fighting back. And I think that that's just been a problem for the Democrats and like the big reproductive organizations forever. But yeah. I mean, I honestly, I would go even further than that to say that the Democrats, um, especially Joe Biden, have openly gone against Roe v. Wade, Joe Biden, even in the 1970s and 1980s, voting to return the issue back to the states. He has always been a very vocal critic of Roe v. Wade. He supported the Hyde Amendment. Um, And Nancy Pelosi, even up until 2017, said that abortion and Roe, codifying Roe, is not a part, like, you know, it's fading in the background. 
Um, so if we know that the Democrats are not only not fighting, but are actively fi almost fighting against our rights, then to a certain point, we have to look at ourselves and look at what we're doing on the ballot. Um, I feel like another problem is that the Democrats aren't actually educating their base on the voter disenfranchisement that's happening on the local level that is allowing these state houses to lean so far to the right. Um, this is not on accident. And as long as, you know, the Democrats say just vote, but aren't talking about the real, the, the structural violence that is happening across this country, especially in these red states, we'll continue to see these problems. We'll continue to see our rights get stripped away. Um, I'm honestly, I'm not surprised that the Democrats have just given up on this issue, mostly because they need something to run on. They know that they are not going to do anything for the working class. We've seen all throughout the pandemic that when it comes down to the economic issues, the Democrats do not have us. They do not have our backs. Um, so this is something that they can use, as we can see, um, to fundraise. This is something that they can use to um, scare their base into voting for them. And honestly, I feel like a lot of people, especially in my generation, we're not going to fall for it, um, especially not this time around, um, because we want real results that aren't, you know, that aren't just going to be temporary fixes. And there's so much that they can do even right now that they were that they're refusing to do. They're still passing blame, still passing the football and basically saying like, well, too bad, ladies, like better luck next time. And you know, that's what I feel like we should say to them <laughs> at uh, 2022. Better luck next time, 2024, we're, we're placing you by leftists and organizers because that is what the Tea Party right is doing. That is how they have been able to, you know, basically just stoke authoritarianism um, and rig the court um, and, steal, um, and steal Supreme Court seats to get this ruling struck down. Um, and this is something that they've been organizing for not only within the government, not just on the local level and on the federal level, but they've been organizing outside of the government. Um, the federal society has been training up these judges um, so that way they can go on the court and do the things that they are doing right now. And the left has academics. We have the infrastructure. We have people that we have people with organizing experience that were alive when we were striking in this country. Like we need to start talking to those people. We need to start really starting to, we need to start building the infrastructure on our side because the Democrats are not going to save us. And it really is you know, incumbent upon us as the electorate, as can, as American citizens at this point, to build power for ourselves that isn't based in putting faith in politicians that have clearly shown us time and time again that they are going to choose their political career over our lives every time. Well, I totally co-sign what both of you just said. And we're going to watch some interesting videos that I would love for you guys to react to with me. And just so you know, people, we're going to be giving you some, I don't want to say light at the end of the tunnel, but we're also, we're not just going to be talking about how bad things are. We're also bringing you some solutions and some resources. So make sure you sit tight because those are coming soon. But first, before that, we got to stay in this area and we got to just expose the things that are happening. We got some clips Let's see. I think, can we show Brad the clip of Kamala Harris? She gave an interview with Dana Bash. I should give a trigger warning. Administration expand abortion access or abortion services on federal land, meaning provide the access on federal land that might be 
in and around states that ban abortion? I think that what is most important right now is that we ensure that the restrictions that the states are trying to put up um, that would prohibit a woman from exercising what we still maintain is her right, that we do everything we can to empower women to not only seek but to receive the care where it is available. Is a federal land uh, one of those options? I mean, it's not right now what we are discussing, but I will say that when I think about what is happening in terms of the states, we have to also recognize, Dana, that we are 130-odd days away from an election, which is going to include Senate races, right? Part of the issue here is that the court has acted, now Congress needs to act. But we, if you count the votes, don't appear to have the votes in the Senate. Well, there's an election happening in 130-odd days. I'm taking, for example, thinking of, of a Senate race in Georgia or in North Carolina. There's a the Senate race coming up just in a couple weeks in Colorado. And we need to change the balance and have pro-choice legislators who have the power to make decisions about whether this constitutional right will be in law, right? We say codified, mm-hmm. put it in law so that there will be no ambiguity about it. Okay, so that's Kamala Harris. What a what a breathtaking response from Kamala. She's like the worst politician I've ever witnessed. Like she has no charisma. She never knows what the hell she is talking about. Like who is on her team and why do they hate her so much? Because I don't understand. Truly. It's just very infuriating that they're pushing the Senate like that we're going to take. First off, it's very unlikely that we'll take control of the Senate just based on midterm elections. And that's what normally doesn't happen. You don't normally pick up. But let's say we even like get some of these races and we take a little bit back. There's a filibuster proof majority. That, so they not only have to take these races, they have to get enough to get over a cinema and mansion as well in order to take over the Senate in order to get like to codify. Road. They're not going to do it. Like even if they win everything and they, they, they're they not going to do it, they're, they don't have the votes. And it's just like, you know, like there's just it's just very infuriating to me that's like vote send money vote send money and not like here's the plan of other things we can do we knew this was coming here is our like task force list and like i don't like i mean i literally wrote out a list of like things that i have seen like you know like i like went down and i was like what have i seen proposed and there are so many good ideas out there it's like throw some shit at the wall Sorry. Like, you know, just like try like, you know, like the Republican and that's the thing. The Republicans did that. They literally all of these laws were unconstitutional on their face under row and they passed them and they passed all of these laws and they got challenged and they did it for 20, 30 years. And eventually they won. And it's like, why can't like somebody do that? On our side, you know, like continue to like pass laws that maybe not won't pass. Like maybe we can't have abortion clinics on federal land. Maybe it violates the Hyde Amendment. Make them sue. You know, like who knows what might happen? Like continue to do that. And it's just it's so infuriating to watch them just like they have all the power in the world and to sit up there and be like, what we need is for you to give us more power. We need you to give us more power. They have tons of power right now. And it's infuriating to watch them do nothing. Absolutely. And, you know, also, are they going to talk about how the Hyde Amendment is also in the 2023 fiscal budget that they're trying to pass right now? Are they going to talk about that? Are they like the fact that expanding the court is not the only thing that the Democrats are screaming from the top of their lungs at this point really shows you whose side they're truly on. Um, And it's really hard to support a party that has no fight in them whatsoever. Like the Republican Party is 
deplorable. Um, and we all know that. Um, we all know what their grand agenda is. And for me, and my estimation is to create a white ethno state um, that is based in Christianity. Like I just, at this point, that's just really feels like where we're headed. Um, and the Democrats also see this happening and they're doing absolutely nothing about it. They send Kamala Harris out. They cart her out on whatever Xanax she's on. And she's sitting there like with hardly any energy, no passion, no emotion, or just no empathy for all of the women that are going to be harmed or that have already been immediately harmed by this ruling. Um, and the fact that we really are in a political moment where it feels like they're, they're really just willing to let us die. Like it just, it, like, I, I don't know how else to put it. Like they are willing to let us die. Um, and I guess, I mean, what can we expect from the most violent country in the world? <laughs> I, I, at this point, I just really think that if Obama didn't do it and he promised that he was going to do it, literally the first, the first couple of weeks of his presidency, he was like, oh, Roe's not a priority. If Joe Biden has had two years and he didn't do it, what the hell is voting for or organizing for more Democrats going to do other than expose more pro-life Democrats that already currently are in the party? Like, I don't know, Tim Kaine, who we don't, who we don't talk about. It's not just cinema and mansion. There are probably a few of them. Diane Feinstein, as old as she is, I'm sure that she does not support um, abortion um, in the same way and like as robustly as they say that they do. Um, so as long as they are, you know, pitter pattering around and trying to compromise with fascists, fascism is going to win. And so as again, like we need to do stuff at this point. We need to set up these abortion clinics on federal land and, you know, set up the defense <laughs> in order for them to stay there because it, the Democrats, again, they're just not going to save us. They're not our friends. And I'm just, just donate to your local abortion funds, like DC abortion fund, for example. <laughs> we're gonna and we're gonna get into more solutions, but before I just want to defend Common a little bit, Brad. If you could show that other part, because Afini says she doesn't have empathy, but I think you're wrong. Wait till you see this empathy that she has, because she really gets this issue. When you think about it, in terms of what that means, in terms of democratic principles, in terms of the ideals upon which we were founded, about liberty, about freedom. Um, you know, I thought about it as, you know, a parent. We have two children who are in their 20s, a son and a daughter. I thought about it as a godparent of teenagers. I thought of it as an aunt of, of, of preschool children. And a woman yourself. And a woman myself. And the daughter of a woman. And a granddaughter of a woman. Guys, she's a woman, she's the daughter of a woman, and she's the granddaughter of a woman. She really threw her great-grandmother under the bus by not mentioning her, but anyway. Can the Democrats learn to talk about, like, material conditions ever? Can they, do they always have to talk like they're on the freaking West Wing? It's like, learn to talk about, like, what abortion, like, not having it in your life, like, what it can do to people and what it can do to, like, families and it, but they don't they never do they always give these like as a woman as a grandmother as you know the 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 goddess of whatever like you know it's like screw this like talk about material conditions like talk about how this actually impacts people's lives and they don't like they don't do it and it's infuriating this is why the right wing makes fun of identity politics this is the reason why they're like every single time a person of color a black woman a gay person bastardizes identity politics on the left. 
it gives the right a reason to just completely throw the entire thing away. And it's just so frustrating, especially, you know, because I'm a black woman, Kama's a black woman. It's just very upsetting because she could have been way more robust. A lot of the black women that I know in organizing spaces, um, you know, they come with some type of heat. They come with some type of facts. She has heat for parents who don't send their kids to school. She brings the heat. She locks them up. Oh, yes. She definitely has the heat for that. She has the heat to, to lock up a bunch of black men for, um, for nonviolent drug offenses in California, too. She she could figure out a way to do that. It's just it's just so frustrating. And I personally, I'm just really waiting to see what the squad does. Also, I'm waiting to see how they're going to buck back at the establishment. Are y'all going to start speaking out against Democratic leadership now? Like, are y'all ready now to actually have a backbone and do that? Or are we going to keep voting with Nancy Pelosi 93% of the time? Are we going to continue to vote for Nancy Pelosi for Speaker of the House? What are we going to do now differently? Now that we know that the establishment is never going to be our friends, they're never going to give us any concessions on our side. They're going to continue to move to the right because that's what benefits them and their tax bracket. That's what the Democratic establishment is going to do. So now what is the squad going to do to counteract that? Because that's what we elected them for. And yes, AOC was outside yelling and screaming about this and that. But, you know, y'all said that y'all were organizers. I need to see some organizing. I even I DM'd Alex and I asked her, like, so what's next? Like, what are we going to do next? Because it's not enough to just tell people to vote or to like, we have to make, we have to bring physical actions. So I'm, you know, I'm not only, you know, criticizing the Democratic Party, like establishment. I'm also looking to see like what the progressive wing that say they represent the future of the Democratic Party. What are y'all going to do as well? What like, what are y'all going to do? I will say at least AOC had a list of things that she 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 had some things she threw at the wall. Like I'm not always her biggest fan, but I was like, she at least like had and Elizabeth Warren as well had at least something. Like, here's some things we can do. It's just it's just not meeting the moment. Like it's it's super infuriating to see people just not meet a moment. Like Well, in the interest of being fair and balanced, I think maybe you guys are overreacting. I'm gonna let Dana Bash and some other CNN heads try to speak some sense into you. You hysterical women. So, uh, Brad, if we could play the Dana Bash clip. This is after Dana Bash was, of course, the one who interviewed Kamala. So they're debriefing the interview. When it comes to abortion, there's a lot of Democrats, voters or progressives in Congress like Pramila Jayapal who want to see specifics. They want President Biden to do more. I don't know if they're going to be looking at that interview and feeling that the Biden administration is ready to do a whole lot on abortion or really can do a whole lot. It's the can uh, part of it. It's it's not as if the Biden administration, the vice president herself, was saying, no, I don't want to do all of the things that are being proposed uh, by a, a lot of groups, a lot of members of Congress, obviously, in their own party, particularly this federal lands issue. You're exactly right. Uh, progressives, progressive women are being very vocal about the federal government doing that. They're just not sure that that is uh, le- legally viable. Uh, it's not on the front uh, of uh, of or the top of the, their list that they're pushing. Uh, she said it's it's not something they're looking into. I think that they have and they will uh, in, in some ways, but they just don't think it's really that viable. The problem with progressives is they would like to see the White House behaving as if this is a five alarm fire, and they don't feel as if they are seeing that in some cases. 
Whereas the vice president, the president saying, we just can't. There's just nothing we can do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the way that she described it effectively is that this is going to be a very, very long haul, uh, that it was generational. She talked about her her daughter uh, and her her stepdaughter and her uh, her mother-in-law, who are, you know, 50 years apart. And it is going to take likely take maybe that long to change things. It's very clear from talking to her, from uh, talking to others in and around this issue, that they're going to do what they can on the federal level. But this is going to be and is already a state fight. So, wow. It's just for them to sit up here and say like, oh, well, they want them to treat, they want the White House to treat this like a five alarm fire. It is a five alarm fire. It's a public health catastrophe. Black women die three to four times more. And in a state like Louisiana, up to five times more on delivery tables than white women do. Not only that, the U.S. already had the highest infant mortality rate and the highest maternal mortality rate out of any well-developed country. And we're spending two times more on our health care than any other country. So I just, I'm just so frustrated. I'm so, I'm just, the lack of urgency that they have just shows the insulation that happens when you get to a certain level of power in D.C., and even me, I live, I live in DC. The Beltway bubble is real. Like you can talk to people and they can be completely disconnected from what's happening in the streets. And a lot of these people, like they live 20 minutes away from Southeast, which is a 93% black area where these, where these maternal mortality rate issues are happening right, th- right here. They're happening right here. But these people are so insulated in their bubble that they don't even see it. They don't even see it or understand it. And it's, I'm so tired of being like gaslit by these people. I'm so tired of talking to people that do, seem to not care about my life at all. And for, for people to say that we're overreacting when I know for a fact that people are going to die from this, like, how can you tell us that we're overreacting? And then also in the same breath, out of the, out of the, out of the other side of your face, tell people to donate and fundraise and vote for the Democratic Party. What? Like, there's no empathy. There's no empathy in the Democratic Party. So what are we voting for if they're not going to fight for us? I, I just. Yeah, I thought it was so like instructive. It was it was almost like a teachable moment because usually the media doesn't show its hand in like massaging the messaging for politicians, but he or she actually just did it. She said, it's not about whether they want to do it, it's that they can't do it. Totally accepting the framing that this is a question of ability, not of will, but their hands are tied. And this is like, this happens all the time. We just don't see it. They don't narrate that they're doing it. But here we actually see them just literally handing this framing over. I literally wrote like pages, like a whole page full of things they can do. Like, and, and some of them might not work. Some of them, the efficacy is who knows, like, and some of them like might not, but it's just like, there's some, they just get a freaking plan. Like, even if they had come out on that first day and been like, here are abortion funds you can donate. If you are in these States here, like you, here are the organizations that can tell you how you can get to another place. We are going to give you this information. Like, you know, like there's a, a wide range of political things they could do. They could talk about safe states and how safe states could could come in and expand their abortion access because a lot of them have trap 
laws and don't need them. And a lot of them could like have more protections in their state constitutions. They could have talked about that. They could have talked about so many things and it would be like, it would still not be enough because they've messed it up so bad, but it would be something. And there's just nothing going on. And to me, it's like, it's just this massive failure of systems. And I'm with a Feeney where it's like, you need to look outside of the system at this point. Like, I think there's a, 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 there's a diversity of tactics that you should use. You should look at like ways we can work within the system and ways we can work without of it. But like, but at this point, it's like, this is a massive failure of government and the opposition party is not going to do anything about it. They are not treating it like a public health catastrophe, which it is. People are going to die. And not only that, it's not just people are going to die. People are going to have their lives robbed from them. You know, like they're, they're, they're not going to be able to go to school. They're not going to be able to go to college. They're not going to be able to, you know, like get jobs that they want. They, they're not going to, their other children are going to have, have trouble, you know, like they can't afford to feed all of these kids that they're going to have. There's going to be, you know, CPS cases. People are going to be end up in foster care because, you know, and maybe like children that are already exist are going to end up in foster care because of this, because all of a sudden your, your, your mom can't afford, you know, the heat bill anymore because she has an extra mouth to feed. And then CPS comes and takes both of the kids away. And it's just like, talk about it like that. Talk about it like the material issues that people are going to face regarding this and they don't do it. And to me, it's like, you know, we should work in the, within the system. There are things we can do within the system. I'm kind of done with it. Just to, you know, expand on the foster care point, 90% of children that are in America's foster care system experience abuse or neglect. So it's not saying there are a bunch of kids that, you know, we have a system to take care of them. No, we don't. These kids are not being taken care of. And these kids have a, a lower chance of graduating from high school. These kids have a higher chance of being incarcerated. These kids have a higher chance of drug addiction. These kids have a higher chance of just a lower quality of life. And so if we are, you know, slating people for poverty, what kind of country are we? 86% of people that are born in poverty in this country do not make it out as it is. So we are creating more and more impoverished people. And we have the, we have, you know, the chairman of the Fed talking about, we want to raise interest rates so we can have a 5% unemployment rate while this is happening at the same time. This is not sustainable. And I think that the fact that the Democrats are spending more time chastising their base for being upset, for being passionate, for being angry, instead of talking about the real effects of what is happening, instead of talking about the fact that there are 11 million children in this country right now that are food insecure, one out of five children under the age of five are food insecure. We have a baby formula shortage in this country. No, we have to give people a choice, especially if we're not going to give them any support. So if the Democrats are not going to talk about it in those terms, then of course they're just going to let it slip through their fingers. And it's going to be yet another thing that they, that they campaign on and then they lose because we all know that because they're not talking about those real material things, people aren't actually, people aren't listening to the platitudes anymore. So then what? So then what? More and more women are going to die. And then Ron DeSantis is the person that they're trying to slate for 2024 outside of Trump. If Trump isn't, you know, if Trump isn't the person, Ron DeSantis is, he's building his national um, profile right now. And he's talking about a national abortion ban. So if they control the House, the Senate and the Supreme Court and they implement a national abortion ban, this is not this. This does not end here. So the Democrats need to talk about the real consequences 
of what is going to happen in the short term and in the long term. And if they're not going to do that, then of course, of course, of course, they're going to concede their power yet again. And people are not going to vote for a feckless, weak, spineless party. We're tired of that. I want to bring in Amy Merrill, who is an artist and activist and co-founder and digital director of the abortion pill access campaign, Plan C. Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Wow. Lots of fuel for this fire. There is so much here that I've just been absorbing. I really, really appreciate this conversation and I'm happy to be here. Great. Well, thank you for joining us. And tell us about Plan C and um, what Plan C does and how it's changed, if it has changed since this ruling. Sure. So Plan C is an information campaign on abortion pills. It maintains a 50-state guide to abortion pills by mail and telehealth, plus a full range of FAQs and medical and legal hotlines, uh, all in support of a safe, a safe, medically safe, self-managed abortion. And this is a concept that this country is very late to adapting. Um, it's something that's been endorsed by the World Health Organization for years and years. It's something that when you zoom out and look at the global context, it's happening Millions and millions of people are self-managing all around the world. And this medication, uh, abortion pills are a combination of two medications, mifepristone and misoprostol. It's incredibly safe and effective. And from our campaign's perspective, it belongs in the hands of the people who need it. So we started this campaign about six years ago to share this information, really just to get the word out about what are abortion pills, how are people already accessing them through the internet, by mail, and with or without telehealth in support of their own experience, in support of a safe, self-managed abortion. And um, we have also seen the growth of more and more resources to support them along the way. There's a medical hotline called the MA Hotline. mahotline.org is a free medical hotline staffed by medical providers to answer anyone's questions along the way. And then the Repro Legal Helpline exists to answer their legal questions and address any sort of question around legal risk, depending on their situation. Um, so I want to just also honor and acknowledge, you know, the conversation y'all are having. This is something massive just changed in our federal protections or in the, the ruling from SCOTUS and kind of a federal opinion. But this is a situation, as you know, that has been the case for a long time in this country. It's already been a, a real uh, dividing line between who has abortion access and who does not. And even during the pandemic, we were already running our information campaign. We were already running a guide to what we knew to be available and what resources existed. And during the pandemic, we saw half the country come online with telehealth startups. And these are all providing a really wonderful supportive experience. They're at a relatively low cost. A lot of them offer sliding scale if someone can't afford it. Um, it's all, all these organizations are female founded. They're all just, you know, they saw the FDA roll back these restrictions during the pandemic and they just started coming online saying we're doing this. And Plan C was very involved in sharing out information that we knew about what was possible, what was not, and working closely with, um, medical providers who could, you know, advise it's, it's really all from a public health perspective and a medical best practices perspective. But as we know, half of the country continued to not have mainstream access. And already in 90% of counties or more in the U.S., there is no abortion clinic. And already people are jumping through hoops. They're going above and beyond just to try to access this basic health care. So what just changed, besides the policy change, we see the country paying attention. And that's what's a real relief about this moment is the conversation that we all are having here and the points that you all are making. We're having them now, right? We're making these points where, where it's, it's, there's so much more work to be done. And, and all the points that you're making about what needs to be acknowledged with the policy side and with these politicians who we elected to protect our rights and to serve 
obviously major failures happening right now. And and in the meantime, um, there's a phrase from the reproductive health, justice, and access community, abortions don't wait. And so in the meantime, we're making sure everyone understands that they still have options. And of course, it's complex. Of course, um, it's a quickly evolving landscape. And um, and it's not ideal, you know, like what, what we are, um, why we exist and how we center our information and ground our work is really that we're moving from a patient, uh, or sorry, we're moving from a provider-centered experience or maybe even a politician-centered experience back to a patient-centered experience or an individual. What does that individual need? This is not only as is being discussed on this conversation already, this has got to be a collective care issue. This has got to be, it's a collective need and it's got to be treated as collective care. And also it's got to center that individual and what they need and what they want to be their experience. And that's what's so hopeful about these resources that are aligning to ensure that the person gets what they need. And the truth is that people are seeking and needing different things, right? There is still a need for in-person care. And that's where these clinics still need our support. And that's where these funds still need our support because all of them, not only have they been going above and beyond uh, uh, over the massive barriers um, that we've already talked about over the last decades, but now they're facing tremendous barriers and they're still going to be trying to serve their communities. So we have to keep supporting them and at the meantime, contribute to the equation, fill in the gaps with this information so that everyone understands what is self-managed abortion and where can you access this and what else do you need to know about your particular situation in order to make a decision that's best for you. So it's really a radical paradigm shift. And um, it, it really, I, I really feel like it speaks to the points that you all are making, which is like, there's a failure going on. The system is failing us. It, it, always has in a lot of ways. It's always been broken in a lot of ways. It's just gotten a lot worse. And so now we're finding ways to take care of each other and take care of ourselves. And abortion pills can play a really powerful role in that. How long do they last, by the way? Can like people buy them in bulk? Good question. So we don't recommend like stocking up. We've been seeing that on social media. People and, and that's happening with like emergency contraception and other medications. I know people are stocking up um, birth control. Um, that's not, doesn't seem like a good idea with abortion pills. And it's not really necessary. Like what we are seeing people doing is ordering advanced provision of pills, which is also a new development. There are um, activist organizations and medical providers, telehealth providers that are listed on the Plan C guide that are offering advanced provision of pills. And that basically means pills in advance of when you need them for your medicine cabinet. And those are good for on average about two years before they start to degrade. So that's really important to know. And yeah, I guess that's an answer to your question about yeah. how long they last. I guess the other thing that I've been thinking about a lot the last couple of days is just that like in this current environment, it already is so scary, so confusing. You know, there's so much, there's so much information flying around. So that again is where we're trying our best to just highlight the resources that are in support of the individual and what their questions might be so that they can step into this experience not being terrified, ideally. I mean, again, we're not talking about an ideal situation. We're talking about making it work and making sure that we're we're practicing, uh, if any, I heard you reference like harm reduction, right? We're, we're in the practice right now of harm reduction. We're in the practice of, of really spotlighting what a violation of human rights these particular situations are state by state. And we're gathering our resources to try to understand what is still available and how these people are going to be well in the face of just unbelievable harm. Um, when I was 22, I actually had um, the medical, like medically induced abortion. Um, and one thing that I would, you know, 
just really like to prepare people for it is just like the emotional part of it as well. I don't think we really talk about, um, you know, especially in a lot of these red states where women aren't we're going to be, be aren't really going to be able to uh, get the support that they're going to need after that. It's a very um, it's a very like mentally straining situation, and especially if you couple that with the stress of possibly being criminalized for it in your state, we can not only see women dying on delivery tables, but we could just see them dying at home because they decided to take their own lives. Not only because of either if they did do it um, and they just from the stress of possibly being criminalized for it or if, or if they're not able to actually access these things. So, um, you know, one thing that I really want to emphasize and stress is that a part of our care and a part of our harm reduction moving forward as organizers are starting to see how we can kind of mitigate some of this emotional damage that's going to be happening. Um, just because I was in a, I'm in a, you know, liberal area. I had, I had access to therapy and all stuff. And I also have a support system, but if you don't have those things, then, you know, your mental health can deteriorate pretty quickly. So. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that, if any. And, and, um, it reminds me, I should mention, there also are a couple of really wonderful emotional support hotlines. And of course, that's different than having a friend or family member that's that you're intimate with that can support you. Um, but there are hotlines listed on the Plancy website, like one is called Exhale, one is called All Options. And these are actually established specifically to emotionally support someone in their abortion experience. Um, so we we share that out as well for exactly the reasons you're describing. Thank you for sharing that. I think we also like when we're talking about like a community of care, basically, like, I mean, we only have each other at this point. Clearly, the the systems have that are supposed to protect us are not doing it anymore. And so when you look at like mutual aid issues, I was thinking about abortion doulas, which is somebody that can literally like sit with you and like you're having a baby, except you're having an abortion, you know, like it's a, somebody that can help you work through the process, both emotionally and physically. I feel like as we organize to fight back against some of this, we can also recognize that we're a community and that we can support each other through this. And like we can help people make the choices that are best for their own lives. And I think that 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 might be like something really beautiful that comes out of this. But in the meantime, like it's a public health catastrophe and like we need to respond to it like a public health catastrophe, which means all hands on deck and getting like people information that they need as quickly as possible. You said you had a list. You want to share some of your ideas? Um, I don't want to go through all of them. I think I have, a, I have a Twitter thread too. So I sort of put it into three categories. And the first one we talked about a lot, which is like people who need abortions right now, right? Like that's like first big thing and like helping them. And that's, so that's like abortion funds, helping with like logistical things, helping find new clinics. Like I think there's a new clinic in Illinois and Maryland that are being built. And then they're also trying to move the North Dakota clinic to Minnesota. And so I think like that, those would be like excellent things to like devote some time to. Um, but that's, you know, like that's one of them. Um, then you've got like a ton of political tactics. There's so many things they could throw at the table and I wish they would just throw some of them, like, you know, just put some of them out there. Um, of course, like some of them are like, maybe like no goes from the beginning, like expanding the court, but like, how about you vote on it? Or you use that to scare the court. That's what FDR did. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, the the switch in time that saves nine, like, let's do it again. (laughs) Like, um, and like, how about if you like, you know, put up the things, let, let's repeal Hyde, take it out of the budget. Like, let's do that. Um, the clinics on federal land, I think is really interesting. You have to get around Hyde, but like, I bet there's, there's like innovative ways you could try to do it. And like you said, let them try and then people sue and then you. Right, 
like that's what the Republicans did for 30 years. You can expand access for different things in states that, that have them, which I think I already talked about a little in safe states. Sorry, looking at my list just to make sure. Oh, also, here's one. Penalize anti-abortion Democrats. Like, why are we running, you know, like, why is Jessica Cisneros not winning? Which is something we left out. Lest anyone not know this, obviously, the Democratic leadership decided to stump robocall fundraise for Henry Cuellar, anti-choice congressman, who was being challenged by pro-choice Jessica Cisneros. So disgusting. Anyway, and that same woman, Nancy Pelosi, who was stumping for him, wants you to give her more money. And she lost by 259 votes. Like that, that was such a close election. And like, it's disgusting what they did there. And then also when you like get into any of these arguments with people and they're like, we can't do anything because of mansion and cinema. And I'm like, what party are they in? Like if they are Democrats and they are holding up Democrats, how about we kick them out of the freaking party? Like if this is the problem, if they're not Democrats, they're not real Democrats. That's what everyone says. And I was like, okay, then why aren't there consequences for that? Why aren't there threats? And I understand like on some level why they aren't and why they're afraid of doing that. But the Republicans do not have this problem typically. They have maybe Liz Cheney and like, you know, like that's it. They don't have this problem with party discipline that the Democrats do. And it's infuriating. It's like, why does Chuck Schumer, and this like also like everyone in leadership has failed. Why are they still in leadership? Why is Chuck Schumer still in leadership if he cannot whip Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema to do anything? Why is he still the Senate majority leader? Why are we not like pressuring them to put somebody in that's better? I mean, I do think you should vote. <laughs> like, it's like, I mean, like, I'm not a, like, I hate the voting thing, but, but like, why we're talking about like voting for Senate races. It's like, if you want to abstain from your Senate race and your it, like, whatever, but like, there are local races that are like important in some of these states and governorship races that like we could target. There was a really good um, list. Daniel, I don't exactly know how to say his last name. Nikani, he's at Daniel on um, Twitter. He had a list of like local races that might impact abortion in various states. And like, I feel like those kind of things, like here are races that we could like talk about. There are ballot initiatives in Kansas and Nebraska and Michigan, I think maybe it might have one or is trying to have one. Um, So like those things we can target on. Um, And then like, also, I mean, one of the things I thought that AOC said is like codifying Roe um, and codifying, but also codifying Obergefell, codifying Griswold. Codifying lo- loving, like for Christ's sake, let's at least codify loving. <laughs> like, um, you know, I would think that would pass. Like codify Lawrence, like all of these different ones. And then, um, and I have seen that the ACLU has been doing a lot of this, and I'm guessing Planned Parenthood too has been doing a lot of this, where they have been um, challenging these these laws in state court. And that is needs to be done. I like looked at all of these laws and made a guide um, for them before before the uh, decision came out. These laws were not written to be laws; they were written like to be like party champion things in lots of states, like in Republican led states. And, you know, like they, they have lots of state law challenges that they could go after. So I think that's a really good thing that, that somebody does appear to be doing right now. Um, and then the political tactics outside the system, which like, I'm sure like other people, maybe if any could probably speak to better, but like, but like act up style protesting, also looking at like the movements in Latin America, um, like with like Niuna, and like they they were really focused on class and looking at abortion as access, um, which I think is really important, like looking at it as the access issue as well, not just like abortion is legal, but that do you have access to it? And then like looking at places like Poland and Ireland who have like fought back against abortion bans. I mean, Ireland successfully and Poland not, but like building some international solidarity there. 
Um, I mean, I, like, there's also like things that are being thrown out there that I'm like, you have to have like a massive amount of organization, but we should talk about it, which are like general strikes and like things like, like that, you know, like, I mean, I, like, I, I think that there's lots of problems with like how we can set that up, but like, I think that's where we are. And like, I really think we need to look at those, like, just like outside the system kind of, kind of things like protesting aunties at their churches. Like, let's go to their churches and like go to their like places of business and protest them. Like, you know, like, I think there's just a lot of things we can do outside the system too. There's also a campaign to ex- expose fakeclinics.com. Is that the campaign to, to report clinics that are not providing abortion and get, you know, thousands of people to just make Google reviews that correct what these clinics are actually doing or not? We should do that during one of my shows. We could all do it. That would be a fun activity. I want to bring in another guest. He's kind of like the affirmative action invitee because I wanted to have a man on the show because they are not silenced. Don't want to, you know, take away their voices. And I want to bring on to the show someone who actually has an article that he wrote called The Time for Leftist Extra Legal Action Has Finally Come. So that's another tactic. And that is the writer, Freddie DeBoer. Hi, Freddie. Hello. Thank you for joining. I wanted to have your voice in here, too, because we're throwing around lots of different ideas. And I want to ask you what made you write the piece that you wrote about how the time for leftist extra legal action has finally come. You know, I grew up in a communist household and I was, you know, I did a lot of anti-Iraq war organizing, Occupy stuff, etc. And the entire time, there's always been people who say, we need to really do something, by which they mean do some kind of illegal or violent direct action in support of left-wing causes. Um, And I have always been quite dismissive of uh, that stuff because you have to, like, know, okay, this is who we're going to hit, and this is why, and this is our odds of success, right? Like, um, you know, if you're going to go against the state these days— you know, the state has satellites that can read your T-shirt from space, right? Like the state has predator drones and MRAPs and stuff, right? So just just a sort of generalized let's rise up is not very um, useful. But I think with the issue of abortion, while, of course, nothing is ever going to be a substitute for uh, for total and nationwide legality of abortion services, I do think that it's a unique issue in that individual real people can participate in securing a safe abortion access for women in states where that access is illegal. Most of that will likely take take the form of getting them to states where the procedure is legal and helping them to get the procedure, uh, helping to fund their way, giving them places to stay while they recuperate, uh, giving them access to transportation and things like that. Now, one thing that I would stress to everybody is it's not as simple as saying we're going to have pro-choice and pro-life states because I, I can guarantee you that there are bills already drawn up in a lot of states will attempt to criminalize women leaving state lines in order to, to pursue an abortion. So this, this in and of itself would be extra legal. But I would also say that uh, there are going to be situations, particularly in a state with, like Texas, where um, it really is a, a significant uh, travel hurdle to leave. I think that we will see the provisioning of abortion services that are illegal within those those states themselves. I also think that networks are going to spring up to be able to provide women with this service. It was the case pre-Roe 
that um, as the story of the Janes tells us, that there were some illegal abortion clinics that nevertheless were staffed with experienced doctors who knew what they were doing. There is a certain level of, particularly given that the vast, vast majority of abortions happen in the early term, I think that there is some real advantages to people to being able to do this in a clandestine way. So I just wanted to say that, to, you know, to generations of young lefties who I've known, you know, sort of made a fetish of breaking the law in the pursuit of political victory. I think this is the issue in which that is actually going to happen. I think that there's going to be um, an abortion network in this country that will secure those rights for women who can't get it legally in their own state. I will repeat that that is not as good as or any substitute for genuine legal provisioning of abortion in all 50 states. But I think it's a very important thing that we're going to have to think about in the future. Freddie, can I just speak to that for a moment? Because I, I don't know if you caught my part about Plan C and medication abortion, but in the movement, there's a real strong dialogue happening right now that's actually debunking this idea that we're going to go back because of the existence of medication abortion. This is a safe and effective set of medications. You can safely take them at home on your own early term for the vast majority of the cases. And that even speaks to the travel needs that you're, you're describing as well. So I just want to make sure you're not missing the opportunity to understand safe self-managed abortion and medication abortion. I, I hope that makes sense. I just wanted to also talk about some other things that we could also do. I think on the left, we kind of to always tell ourselves the things that we can't do. And not everything has to be violent revolution. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you look at my organization, you'll, you'll see what type of stuff we be on. But, um, you know, I think that there's a way to be financially violent and economically violent that we just don't talk about. And yes, the organizing would be tedious, um, but old school organizing, knocking on doors and people where they're at, that stuff works. Talking to some of the the existing militant labor um, movements that are already happening across the country and starting to connect them, so we can start to build the infrastructure for those um, for those general strikes. I mean, I think that we can start to do that. We have farmers that are upset. That I'm sure that if we can find some way to stand in solidarity. There are farmers that could provide food and all these other things. Like there are creative ways to build these infrastructures. And I think that especially our generation, like we're thinking about those creative ways to build that infrastructure. We're thinking about those, those bridges to build. Like, I mean, I'm just going to speak for, for myself. I'm 25 years old. Um, I was having dinner with somebody the other day and they asked me um, what my plan is. Like, what am I going to do for the next whatever, what my career is going to be? And I literally had to tell her to her face, like, I have no idea. And there are so many people that are in my age bracket that feel like they have no future whatsoever. That after a decade, are we even going to be able to afford anything? Is there going to be an earth that is habitable enough for us to, to build a future, to build a life? Are we going to have social security? Are we going to have any of these things? Like that is the stuff that our generation is talking about. Um, so I think that if we spend more time talking about the history of direct action in this country. If we talk, spend more time talking about the, well, the strikes that are happening all across the world right now, <laughs> because they're happening, then we can actually build that movement. We can build those things. There are, there are many other things that are happening on top of this abortion ban. People are economically squeezed in this country. People cannot afford rent. They can't afford food. We have so many unhoused people in this country like we can change things if we try to organize for it. But I, I mean, I know me personally, 
I just get very frustrated with the we can't do this, we can't do that, we can't do this conversation. Electoral, uh, we should we should do the same thing the right is doing, hitting them at all sides. Electorally, we should be organizing outside of the government. We should be organizing um, locally um, on our local government level. We should be organizing on the federal government level. We should be we should be organizing some of our own um, public defenders and all these other people to get on these to get in these court appointments to get in these seats and the, and to legislate the way we want to legislate. We should start to talk about what it looks like to have a constitutional convention because even Thomas Jefferson himself, all these originalists, even Thomas Jefferson himself said that with each generation, that constitution needs to die and or, and that the constitution needs to be updated every 20 years. The right is already organizing for that. So it's not that these things are impossible. It's not that these things are impossible. We can, we can, we can, and we should, period. We like I'm I'm we need to stop telling people what we can't do because people's lives are literally on the line. Period. Well, I really believe in a diversity of tactics. And I think when you're talking about like one of the things that's been really frustrating to me is like we're not talking about abortion because like a lot of people are doing this camping thing where they're saying, I can take you camping or whatever. It's like say that you're gonna do abortion. I understand that sometimes you need security if you're like in a in a particular situation. But I do think like Amy makes a really good point is that one of the things is that it is really important to talk about abortion how it is now and not abortion how it was in 1973. What we can do is different and also like giving support to people as they are charged criminally for things, which is going to happen. Getting information out about jury nullification, talking about like how, I mean, like, which is illegal, like, you know, like, but talking about how you do jury nullification, how you can get on a jury. I mean, that would be useful for a lot of things in America. Can you explain what that is? Because you're this, it's funny, you're the second person who's brought that up on one of my shows. Jury nullification is basically where juries are like, yeah, they broke the law and they should be convicted, but we're not going to do it. Like, we're going to find them not guilty or I'm going to refuse to give the not guilty good vote. It takes one person on a jury to say, no, I'm not going to vote. I'm not going to vote guilty. And then the person is, you know, like it's either a hung, it's a hung jury and they have to try them again, which they don't want to do. Or you might be able to convince the whole jury panel. Um, it's been a successful tactic that's been used before. It was used a lot during the civil rights movement. And, you know, I think like there's a lot of illegal and pseudo legal things that we can do. And I think Freddie's right. It is now's the time. Like, you know, if you've been waiting your whole life for like, you know, I'm 42, not 25. So like, if you've been waiting your whole life, like, like, I mean, like, I think there's things you can do and like that, but I also think there's a lot of things we can do that are within the legal system. I think I would the addendum to saying, you know, we shouldn't think of pre-row abortions as like our vision for what abortion will be like post-row. I also think we have to acknowledge the fact that one big difference is we have the existence of digital surveillance of a kind that was completely unheard of before. And we also have, since 9-11, a legal apparatus that has again and again and again and again eroded any possible right to privacy that people have has rubber-stamped government intrusion into digital surveillance over and over and over again. And I absolutely believe that the Texas state government, the Utah state government, the Mississippi state government, et cetera, will go to enormous lengths to track people, their movements, and what they're up to. There's been a whole dialogue about uh, deleting your period tracker app or its data. And I think that that's wise, but I think that that's like, that's, you know, only part of it. I mean, if you ever look at some of this Edward Snowden things that he revealed, the amount of data that they can scrape from you 
even without a warrant or a subpoena, which is, you know, as I just said, the wall for that is very small anyway now. But just from their your metadata, they can track where you are all the time, right? So if you're a woman who's pregnant and you will let anyone know that you're pregnant on the internet, right? It's entirely possible for the uh, the state to document you as someone who has declared themselves to be pregnant and then to track your movements both within and outside of the state at all times. Um, for example, the government is perfectly ca- capable of knowing which cell phone towers your cell phone pings as you move around, right? Which is it provides very strong data on your location. So, um, you know, we have to be prepared for the fact that I would uh, echo Amy in saying that the, the large, large majority of illegal abortions are going to be taking place with a pill, but we can't become complacent and think, oh, we can just put a box of pills in the mail and everything will work out because they will very quickly, you know, start to monitor the mail in such a way that they're, they're, they're looking to find these and intercept them and punish the people who, who are going to receive them. It's a great task in front of us is keeping people safe from the sort of dragnet of di- digital surveillance. I agree with that. And I also think like when you when you talk about digital surveillance, also talk about what you can do, too, because there's a lot of fear going around with people right now. I saw this around the period apps. It's like delete your period, delete your period app. And I agree that like, yes, but there are period apps that are secure. Also learn how to keep a notebook, like learn, you know, like give some more options as to like how to do that, because actually a really great way Yes, I was going to say the digitaldefensefund.org is a great, like they have all kinds of information on how to do this. And EFF.org also does as well as to how to like keep track of things. But, you know, like give the options, like when you're talking about like these things are going to shut down and these things are going to shut down. Also talk about here's what we're going to do as a community to get you these things. Like here's what we are going to provide. Here is what exists and we're going to give it to you. And I think the more we talk that we're going to do that, and the more that we say this is how we are going to act as community, then that's going to be normalized and it's going to become like a thing. Like, why is this a law if no one is following? You know, like, I mean, you can change the the topic around this by just participating in ways that are, are brazen. It's a hard thing. It's like you want to balance being like, OK, we have to keep these things in mind that could happen that we didn't deal with in the pre-Roe world. But at the same time, there is morale and a sense of like boldness. And I don't want to say it's a fine line, but those two things exist. I do think that they're going to be reluctant to go after who knows, but I feel like their messaging is really reluctant to go after women and more after the providers. Who knows? I mean, they could do both. I mean, there are already women that have been criminalized Um, in Texas. There's a woman sitting in jail right now for murder because she had a miscarriage. So it's not to say that the criminalization isn't real and we shouldn't, not to say that we shouldn't talk about this. We should also talk about what it looks like to set up legal defense funds for these women moving forward. Cause this is a, that is a part of harm reduction. Um, you know, and as for all the, you know, for all the people that are like afraid, like, Oh, how am I going to track my period? If I delete my period tracker app, write it down on the calendar, handwrite it <laughs> and just keep it to yourself. Um, Cause it like, you know, I was in the military. I, Definitely believe that operational security is really important. Um, so if you cannot trust people and you know that, you know, your state is one of those states that is definitely going to criminalize women for even having an IUD. I heard in Missouri um, they're criminalizing women for having IUDs. Then, yeah, you there, there are certain precautions that you need to take, such as deleting your period of tracker app and emailing that app and telling them to delete your data. And writing it down by hand. Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, just just to like also like like no states right now criminalize the women. None of them. 
But that does not mean that they aren't going, and Afini's right about the, the case in Texas, and there's, there's several cases down there, but one did get dismissed that was more recent. But there, there, are several, there are several women all over the country that have been prosecuted for pregnancy outcomes. And um, so, like, even though they're not criminalizing, like, getting an abortion, prosecutors don't give a shit. Like, prosecutors will find a thing to charge you with. And right now, there's this, like, when these laws come down, there is this, this, air around it that, oh, abortion is legal, illegal now, and we need to do something. And so there's going to be a lot more prosecutions based on that. So even if they're not criminalizing like the women right now, they are going to criminalize the women by finding other things they can charge them with just because prosecutors are their own little fiefdoms. And like they, they can charge you. I mean, you can be charged with anything at any time. Um, and so that, that kind of stuff is going to happen. Um, I always mess up the name of this organization. I think they're with Plan C, so Amy can probably correct me. But I think it's if, when, how. I always get it wrong, but it's, it's something like that. That's an excellent legal defense fund. Did I get right? <laughs> I think I got it right. Um, and there's there's lots of like, and there's also a legal defense fund for providers. And so those things already exist. Um, abortion funds have been working their asses off for five years, two years, a year, two months. Like, and they have a lot of this like set, like a lot of this structure already exists and we really need to rely on them. It really makes me wonder for four years. I mean, it, I think one of the interesting things about all this is that like, to me, so much of the um, <clears throat> conversation on this topic for so long has depended on the assumption that Roe was going to stick around, even though we knew that it was sort of, that it was sort of in peril I think if you look at someone like Rouse Douthat, um, who is a, a Catholic anti-abortion writer for the New York Times, um, if you actually look at like his corpus, um, he seems like someone who is more comfortable rally, sort of rallying against a legal right to abortion, if that makes any sense. Like I think a lot of conservatives have actually positioned themselves um, in this way of sort of like, uh, I'm anti-abortion, but what can you do, you know? And so for one thing, um, this gets back to, you know, I think that is the the issue becoming salient in this way is not entirely clearly a benefit to the Republicans, right? I mean, even Trump said that um, there's a political uh, price to be, be be paid for this. But the other thing is that um, we've had like this discourse from Republicans about okay, abortion is murder, right? Um, but uh, they know that it would, in fact. Um, immensely unpopular as well as unthinkable to charge a woman with like murder, murder for terminating a pregnancy. Uh, so Rouse thought again, is someone who said, Oh, well, yes, abortion is murder, but we might think of it as like seventh degree murder or whatever, which I, you know, seems a little cute to me. Um, my point is that like Republicans are actually going to have to govern, right. And define principles in a way that they were prevented from before that align with the rhetoric they've been serving to the extremists in their base, right, without driving their party off a cliff, right? And so one of the things that's been uh, people have been throwing around is why aren't the Democrats breaking out, you know, a, a bunch of smaller bills, right? Okay, first, um, a federal right saying that uh, a woman has a right to an abortion in the event of uh, her potential death or, or, you know, medical concerns for, for the mother, a federal right guaranteeing abortion if in cases of rape or incest, 
Uh, and then like, and there's other smaller things that you can break down, which is the point of that is not to, to get those to pass. The point of that is to get Republicans to actually vote so that you can say you voted against a, a federal law saying that if a woman is raped, she has the right to terminate for her pregnancy, which, you know, polling like, you know, in favor of that polls at like 12 percent or something like that. Same thing with, you know, uh, in, in exceptions in cases of where it threatens the life of the mother, you just overwhelming majorities uh, of people uh, oppose that kind of thing. There's got to be a, we've got to take this opportunity to say, OK, you finally have the regime that you wanted. You finally are living in life post row. You've talked a lot of shit for 50 years. Let's see you actually govern on this, right? Like, what? where does the rubber actually meet the road? Are you really going to put women in jail, right? Are you prepared to be the party that puts women in jail because they aborted babies that they didn't want because of whatever reason, but also especially because it threatened their life or because they were the victims of rape, right? There's got to be an effort to actually make them own this, you know? One other question I had for you guys is something I've been hearing not too much, but a little bit. So I wanted to speak to it because I think it's something that maybe needs to be addressed is people are saying like leftists, people who reject the weaponization of identity politics. Some of those people, not most, but some are like, this is a distraction. And I'm trying to figure out how to respond to that in a way that's not just like cursing them out. Abortion is an economic issue. If you are a leftist and you are anti-choice, fuck you. Well, they're not even anti-choice. They're just like, this is a distraction. And again, I'm not, I don't agree with this, obviously. It's a capitalism issue. And there's been a lot of talk about it. You know, we're creating workers. And I think that's very simplistic as like, you know, this is like the goal. But actually what it's doing, it is a, it is a tactic to take women primarily, pregnant people, out of the domestic sphere or out of the public sphere and put them in the domestic sphere where they cannot organize as effectively. And even if they aren't completely out of the public sphere, they're exhausted because they have all these extra children. It's a way to attack solidarity, to make women isolated from men and to keep us all in a society that is constantly capitalistic. It's a capitalist tactic to do that. So, like, it's also about creating workers. I mean, like, I feel like that's sort of like a nebulous thing. Certainly capitalism operated like that before, and, like, chattel slavery would be a good way it's done. But what it's really doing is taking women out of the public sphere, putting them in the domestic sphere, and making it impossible to organize. So, like, it's not a distraction. It is a, like, top-tier issue. If you want 50% of the people in the country to, like, help you over, you know, like, help your leftist goals, that is what you need to do. And I would say, like, look, this country fought a civil war over the question of who owns the human body, right? Like, who, who has inviolate control over the human body? And the, the, the winning side, right, the right side said the individual, right? No one else can own your body. No one else can dictate what it does. It is Abortion is part of that same spectrum of, of, of issues of literally who owns the human body. And I would argue that, like, unless you have that preliminary right, no other right matters or means anything, right? If you are not literally like the ruler of your own self, of, of, of your own body, then what the rest, what, what does the, the rest of it mean? Like, what, what would it mean to say, I care about economic liberty, but not whether, I mean, or about, uh, you know, about your economic conditions, but not whether 
you're free to control your own body. It's very strange. I'm going to just read this comment because I want to address this. And maybe some people, we can't reach them, but someone writes, the fact that you have to center the issue is precisely why it steers the conversation away from money. This is an economic issue, like Molly said. Like, if people are already too poor to eat, to pay rent, to to feed the kids that they have, then why would we force people to have more kids? And then on top of that, you know, I'm intellectually honest. A lot of these same right-wingers are running around talking about some, they didn't want to get vaccines, they didn't want to wear no masks. And we were all trying to tell them that societally, that's a terrible idea. But on, on an individual basis, if people don't want to do that, I have to respect their right to not put whatever they want to put in their body. I feel like you should also respect my right to not want to have a parasite sucking the nutrients out of my body. Because honestly, for the first beginning stages of a pregnancy, that's all that thing really is. It's not even a full baby yet. It's a heart and a brain and something that's going to suck all the calcium out of your teeth. Like if people don't want to do that, then you cannot force them. And honestly, I feel like if this, you know, living being cannot live outside of me before a certain period of time, then clearly it is not as viable or as alive as y'all say it is. So again, your entire argument is based on a feeling and your feelings do not have anything to do with what I do with my body. I can feel however I want to feel, but that does not control your individual liberty. And for the, for the Republican Party to be so hypocritical as to say like they don't want anybody to control Anything that they do, they want to be able to run around and have, they want to run around like Rambo and have fucking AK-47 strapped to both hands. If, if they, like, if you don't want anybody to infringe in your right to do that, and that it has nothing to do with your body, with your health, with anything, then why would you think that it is okay or that it is anything other than fascism, authoritarianism, and control to force women to have babies they don't want to have? And also, I want to say that, like, my view that it's taking you out of the uh, public sphere and putting you in the domestic sphere is not like some kind of like thing I came up with or got from Planned Parenthood. That is Ingalls. Like that is literally from Ingalls. Like you can pull up like Ingalls and like read his stuff. That is where it comes from. So if you are a real Marxist and you are a real leftist, like read some freaking Ingalls and get on board. Like I, I have like zero time for anyone that would act like this is a distraction. It is an economic issue. It is a class issue. And like, just just get over yourselves that thinking this is identity politics because it's easy for you to think of it as identity politics. It is not. It's also bizarre to me because left politics is coalitional politics by definition, right? We can't win. They have the money and the power, right? That's, that's what they got. All we have is the numbers. So you're gonna take an absolutely core value to women, you know, half the population and a, and a much larger portion of, of the democratic base. And you're going to just say to them, Hey, sorry, you know what? I gotta, I gotta, uh, I'm, I'm so I'm too concerned with what's happening at JP Morgan to care about abortion. It's just, that's just stupid, awful politics. We, we, the whole identity politics critique has a lot of forms, but the stupidest one is like, this is a distraction from other things. 
right? The whole point is you reach people where you are, you express to them that you're on their side, you show why your way is better, and together you grow a movement that can win. And saying to women, sorry, tough nugs about about abortion seems like a really stupid thing to do if you're trying to grow a coalition. And we're supposed to give a fuck about human rights on the left. Like, isn't that what everybody keeps saying, that, that they care about human rights? If you actually give a damn about human rights, it is a human right to have bodily autonomy, period. And the corporate Dems are the ones trying to decouple this from being an economic issue. They're the ones who are trying to make this just a social cultural issue in a vacuum that has nothing to do with economic rights because they don't want to deal with those things. They don't want to deal with Roe either, but they certainly like to pay lip service to it. So you're just actually being like the neoliberal shell that you like to shit on. All right. I think we handled that. Great. And any final words that people have? Okay, here's my final thought. The idea that you you're, you have a choice between voting for Democrats or punishing Democrats for failing to protect Roe is a false choice. In other words, like it is always a false choice to say, okay, we have to defeat the Republicans. Therefore, all we can do is vote for them and not criticize Democrats. Okay, Democrats had opportunity after opportunity to do more to protect Roe. They failed again and again. There has to be a, a price paid by the people in leadership. And that does not entail you pulling the lever for a Republican. What does it entail then? The primary system is number one. Okay. There's a lot of people who don't get run against at all because there's establishment people that the party thinks that they are untouchable. Right. But Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez demonstrated with someone who was a guy who was just a, a dyed in the wool machine politician at the safest possible seat in New York, where you couldn't possibly lose to a Republican, and she got rid of him, right, working on discontent in her in her district. So the first thing I would say is work the primary system, right? But there's also got to be just sustained public censure of these people and say to Nancy Pelosi, hey, Nancy, that's a great poem, but you've been in charge for decades. Codifying Roe is something that was talked about, has been talked about since I've been alive, um, and yet it was never a, a, a priority. In fact, Barack Obama said in 2009 that codifying Roe was literally, quote, uh, not the highest political priority or le- not the highest legislative priority. That sort of sentiment needs to be brought up, put in their face and say, why didn't you do this when you could? There, there have to be bird dogs in that way. Yeah. And if you want to punish Sidney Hoyer in particular, Please vote for if Michaela Wilkes, if you live in our district or donate to our campaign because we are a small grassroots campaign and Thinny Hoyer has a lot of money and he sucks. So fuck him. And he stumped for Henry Cuellar. He sure did stump for Henry Cuellar. And he's been a avid supporter of the Hyde Amendment for a very, very long time up until very recently for some reason. We'll put Michaela's link in the description, too. And, you know, just like really finally, I just want to say organize, 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 organize electorally, organize outside of the government, organize, take the time to get to know your neighbors and start with a small group if you have to. My grassroots org is only six people deep, but we get a lot of work done. (laughs) We get a lot of work done. So it does not take as much as people, you know, really say it does. If you have any questions on how to organize or how to start your own grassroots organization, how to feed people in your community, please DM me. Because we are definitely in the business of spreading the good word and teaching people how to do mutually that is effective, that is sustainable, and that is actually transformative. Thanks again for listening to The Katie Helper Show. 
If you like the show, please join the Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, we remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. Our show is produced by me, Katie Helper, Nick Palm. Brad Bloom is our audio engineer and an associate producer on the show. Our researcher is Joshua Bregman. And our theme song is by the band Cordova. See you next time.